You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Two guests this week. Uh, first up, a frequent guest, that sports business daily media writer, John Orant. He's been on the podcast many times, and uh, we sort of have a catch-up media session on, um, on some of the bigger topics going on, including um, just how crowded a schedule things are going to be if, uh, if these big leagues can come back and what that means for all the different networks in terms of juggling and scheduling and advertising. Um, it's going to be a really interesting time in the sports media. John and I go into college football and uh, what uh, his reporting tells him about the prospect of college football and, and whether it will be played this year and where it will be played this year in regards to the media and the networks. Also get into the Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson uh, exhibition match, which was incredibly successful to return to sports and what that means heading forward with those two, as well as uh, some NASCAR talk and NASCAR success and whether it can ultimately uh, provide more viewers for NASCAR heading forward. Katie Strang follows up John O'Ran. She is my colleague at The Athletic. She's a senior NHL writer, as well as one of our investigative reporters. We talk about uh, um, Gary Bettman and the NHL's uh, return to play plan, what Katie thinks that means, and then beyond that, the sort of media implications there about uh, potentially covering the NHL within that bubble, what it might mean for access, and then we end with um, Katie's recent reporting on um, sexual abuse allegations in uh, youth hockey. She's done some amazing reporting on that, and I, I recommend you checking that out on The Athletic. So John O'Ran first, followed by Katie Strang, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, uh, as I said at the top, John O'Ran has been a guest on this podcast many times, and he joins me once again as we uh, hit the end of May 2020. John, first and foremost, how are uh, how are you and your family doing? Uh, exactly the same, Richard, as we've uh, as we've been for the past two and a half months. That whole Groundhog Day is uh, is for real down here in DC. Yeah, I did. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening to this uh, everywhere sort of um, you know probably getting a little cabin fever. So if you have little kids as I do. It's uh, very much the NCAA tournament, survive in advance, basically on a on a, <laughs> on a daily basis. Um, all right, well, hopefully we'll give you at least something, uh, if you're into sports media, something hopefully interesting and entertaining over uh, the next hour or so. All right, John, um, the schedule, you know, again, everything we're talking about here is, um, you know, sort of relies on testing and local and municipalities and and states sort of um, allowing sports to be played and leagues getting together with their players association. So I'm going to ask you some questions sort of under the presumption that we can get to a place in sports where we hopefully can be understanding that there's so many contingencies at play that who knows uh, ultimately what will happen. If the major sports, John, can get to where they would like to be over the next couple of months. The schedule is going to be as crowded as it ever has been in sports. Um, 
So let's start with a macro question for you. What do you think this is going to mean regarding all the networks that have all these sports media properties? Uh, so for uh, sports viewers, it's going to be awesome because uh, you're, you're, you're potentially going to have a situation where you have the, the NHL playoffs competing with the NBA playoffs, competing with college football, competing with, uh, competing with pro football, competing with, you know, golf majors that, that, that have been pushed back, you know, big horse races that have been pushed back, uh, you know, it, pretty much everything. Uh, and I think one of, uh, from a business standpoint, though, um, it, it's, not, it's not a disaster. The, 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 the networks, of course, won all this. But, you know, what's the ad market going to look like? Uh, I, I mean, the ad market already is, at, you know, pretty close to zero right now. And the ad market going in there with a glut of high-profile programming and programming competing against each other is going to necessarily, almost certainly, uh, bring down the ratings. Uh, so I can see an, an ad market that, you know, uh, where, where the, price, the prices just drop considerably uh, th- th- this fall. Um, on, top, on top of that, I think one of the stories that I can't wait to see is what happens on a Masters Saturday when CBS has the SEC going up with uh, with the Masters? Uh, you know, the, the, how what will get relegated to CBS Sports Network? What would get relegated to another Viacom channel? And you can take that that decision and put it on just about every single network because the networks are going to have really hard decisions to make. Like, do we? preempt the NFL, which almost certainly won't happen, or do we preempt another, like, you know, major longtime partner? So those are going to be really interesting discussions from a behind-the-scenes business standpoint. All right, so let me ask a couple questions on this, John. One, um, do you think the networks will work with each other to try to do their best, even though it's an impossibility to, um, to avoid any kind of conflict? Do you think Fox, ESPN, CBS, NBC in some kind of informal way, get together to say, hey, you know, the NBA Finals are on this date. Anyway, you guys can, you know, sort of work with your partners in the NHL to work around this. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, will the, maybe the league, maybe the, the better question is maybe the leagues will get together to sort of do their best when it comes to scheduling. But you wonder if the networks will make that ask to try to get a little bit of exclusive windows. Uh, I find that really hard, hard to believe. Uh, I, n- number one, you're going to ask the network then to go back to other, uh, you know, the, the, their league partners and say, hey, we, we're prioritizing the NBA even though it's going to be on a- ABC. Um, I mean, for, for they don't do it anymore, but there was a time where people did, did try to counter-program the Super Bowl, you know, and tried to uh, counter-program, you know, other big events that, that, that are going to be on other um, – other networks and you know it, it is sort of a new era and, and you would think people would try to get together but there are going to be so many sports and everybody wants to be bringing their bit of ad sales that and they're going to just be too many sports like what 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 are you going to have them programming against the the, the nba finals because they're, they're still going to have to have, have some sort of programming in there i i if I were running a network, I, I wouldn't really be listening to anybody unless they were going to be, you know, floating some money my way. Do you think there is, um, will there be some kind of uh, thought from either the sports leagues or the networks to avoid Sunday NFL? 
the NFL ultimately is playing. Because the one thing that happens, John, with this glut of um, with this glut of sports is strikes me that it might be hard to avoid a Sunday in the fall. This again presumes the NFL is back. Yeah, I, I, the NFL is uh, the one league that has the most leverage over everybody, and the NFL is not scared to use it. And the NFL has a rights deal that's coming up with all the networks that they're uh, that they're in the process of, of negotiating. And I I would expect that a network like CBS that wants to stay in business with the NFL, or a network like ESPN, ABC that is desperate to to uh, become a get, get a bigger piece of uh, of the NFL schedule isn't going to do anything to uh, overly upset the NFL. Um, and so, you know, w- would the NFL go to, you know, uh, ESPN and say, hey, we, we don't want um, this uh, a program on ABC to go, to go against sort of Sunday afternoon NFL? To be honest, I find that hard to believe. I've never heard that happen in, in the past. And, you know, ABC is a program network that is trying to get uh, viewers as well. But if, if anybody was going to do that, it, it would be the NFL. If anybody's going to do that successfully, it would be the NFL. John, you mentioned earlier the ad markets, um, and I think that's something that we're going to be learning and reading a lot about. The um, you know, Again, if this ultimately happens, um, the companies that usually buy into televised sports are going to be in, you know, their, their, their quarterly projections are going to be horrific. Um, there's going to be... If there hasn't already been layoffs and furloughs, you wonder if the uh, if the ad buys, whether it's uh, you know automobiles or um, movies or um, you know household products, how drastically down do you think that will be when it comes to these networks attempting to recoup some money? Uh, yeah, that, that's the big question because the, the ad market right now is, uh, uh, you know, everybody has sort of fled the ad market. And right now, like, nobody's buying cars and nobody's, uh, certainly nobody's going out to, you know, quick service restaurants or, or fast food restaurants uh, that, that much. And those are, so those are some of the biggest uh, advertisers that, that are out there. And it's an impossible uh, question to answer to about what what that market is going to look like in in October or what that market is going to look like in November, but I I know, just in talking to various uh, TV executives, they they're not viewing this as sort of like a you know six month sort of setback. This is like a three year plan to try to get back to whole or a two two to three year plan to get back to whole. So you know if, if you look at the ad market in just from this year alone, from 2020 alone, that, like, n- nobody's doing that. They're they're trying to broaden it out to to a bigger sort of two three year plan to try to you know recoup some of those losses. You know, John, one of the things that uh, I know you've written about this a little bit, or you're, you're certainly colleagues at Sports Business Journal have I, the the one place where I really wonder what's going to happen is college football. Um, you know, I've certainly said this on Twitter, so I'm happy to repeat it here. It's I, I find it truly. Um, I don't even know what the word would be just disgusting the idea that college football players would come back and not be paid um if they're going to play college football uh in a pandemic or post-pandemic world and post-pandemic is probably not even accurate uh they're they're workers there's no way around it i I mean you know i'm making a bit of a editorial statement here but like it, it literally is the definition of of work if they are basically going to um 
if they're going to play, if they're going to put their bodies on the line in front of either no crowds or crowds that are social distance, you're basically saying we're going to protect the public more than we're going to protect the players there. If they're pros and they make that decision as adults, that's their choice to me. That's that's let you know that's fine. I, I can I could I could respect that uh, because they're making a financial choice. In these cases, uh, these kids won't be doing that. That gets me to John the larger issue of there are clearly parts of the country that have experienced COVID-19 far harder than other parts of the country. How can this be reconciled with college football when games are played against, uh, you know what I mean? Games are played against teams that, that, that compete in different parts of this country. Do you think we will see college football this year? Because it seems everything I've seen with the networks and the colleges, they seem to really want it. Yeah, well, I think we'll definitely see college football this year, but it's going to be a completely different year than, than people expect. Because, uh, as you said, each each conference, and even so, in some respects, colleges within those conferences are going to make uh, 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 different decisions um, about whether to play or not. Uh, you had, um, you know, Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, say that his team was not going to play in empty stadiums. Um, I, I think he he walked that back uh, a, a little bit, uh, suggesting that you know that they might do that. But uh, you know, what about? Look, I have two kids in college. They don't know. We don't know whether or not they're going to be on campus this fall. Uh, if the kids aren't on campus, uh, I find it very hard to believe that you know. Cause to, to your first point, like you know, they're not going to get paid uh, this fall, regardless. Uh, college administrators view the, the football players as student athletes, which is, you know, uh, 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 not necessarily an emphasis on student, but student is in there. If the campuses aren't open to students, uh, I would expect most colleges are not going to allow, you know, those students to go out and and, uh, and play in a sport uh, uh, for, for uh, in football. Um, but there are different areas of the country right now, like the SEC, uh, you know, they could make a decision that is completely different than the Pac-12, which could be completely different than the ACC or, or, or Big Ten. And then within the Big Ten, like, you know, Rutgers, like, which is in ground zero, and, and uh, Maryland, that's in a hot spot, could be making completely different decisions than, say, Nebraska or, you know, Penn State. Uh, and, and so it's a, no, right now, there are just so many questions that are out there. I would say the likelihood is there are going to be some conferences and some teams that, that, that are certainly going to play uh, an abbreviated schedule, and there are going to be certain leagues and conferences, uh, uh, certainly outside the Power Five, but I, even some of the uh, schools within the Power Five that are going to uh, take a step back and, and not play. That would be my prediction on that. My sense is you're probably going to turn out to be correct. It's just it's incredibly distasteful. Um, if you're interested in this, I had a long... Um, podcast last week with Booger McFarland, who I thought, who played at LSU, so obviously played at the highest level of college football, and absolutely spelled it out that, you know, if I'm a pro, if I'm McFarland Inc. or Brady Inc., you know, I'm a grown man. I make that decision based on my finances and, and based on who I am at 24, 25. If I'm a college kid, you know, who's still under the guidance of parents and stuff. They're asking me to come back to campus. They're asking me to play in either empty stadiums or they're asking me to play in stadiums where the fans are, are set up to social distance. But you want me to, to bleed and sweat um, and be on the field, uh, regardless of whatever the, um, the, the 
sort of the rates are of contracting this virus for under 25, um, he he found that incredibly problematic, as do I. But anyway, enough for the uh, the editorial there. I, w- I would suggest, though, that, that uh, Booger McFarlane of uh, the LSU Booger McFarlane would make a different decision than the current day Booger McFarlane. Well, of course, but but that which is what he's saying. He's basically saying that, like, as a 19-year-old or an 18-year-old, you want to play. He said that. Like, you know, your your whole life, you dream of playing for LSU and, and going into Death Valley. You dream of playing for Clemson or you dream of playing for Alabama. But you're 18, and you're making that decision, I think, on a lot of uh, testosterone and emotion where you would hope that the adults in the room, in this case the college presidents or, or quite frankly, even the network executives, are not putting you in potential harm's way. So I agree with you. I think 18, 19-year-old athletes of that caliber who dreamed their whole life of playing college football, I'm sure it's 99.9% of them, John, who want to play. I don't think that's the, the per Again, I'm just speaking for me. To me, that's not the point. The, the, the point is that this highlights more than anything the hypocrisy of the NCAA calling these guys student-athletes. If they're coming back to play college football, they're workers. You are trying to make money off them as a university, or you are trying to make money off them as a, as a television network. Here's a, the, the unique thing about, the, uh, about it, as far as I'm concerned, is that you know, these aren't necessarily coaches, these, not even necessarily, these aren't going to be coaches or ADs that are making the decision whether to play or not. This is a decision that's going to be made outside of that athletic bubble. It's going to be made by college presidents or university presidents, and and they have a different view. I mean, they're the ones, high-minded ones, that do use the student-athlete label, and they're the ones that, that view them. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but because I'll give you feedback. But ultimately, what's going to guide those decisions, John, is, is, is some kind of uh... – is is finances and economics going to decide that decision, or is is it will will health and safety and and some kind of morality to uh, guide those decisions? Well, if you look at it beyond football, I'm, we're asking the same question with my kid, my kids' school. Like, are they going to open up the campuses because they feel a, a financial imperative to, or are they doing it based on uh, keeping uh, keeping the kids safe? I think that that that, that is the question of the pandemic that goes beyond college football and, and, and beyond pro sports as well, I think. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You had some excellent reporting uh, this week, John, on the Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson um Golf. Ex- See, Richard, this is why I like to come on this podcast. You always like build up my stories like that. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, pretty much. I, I think any media person, reporter who came on, I'd probably say the same thing, even if I didn't think it was great reporting. I'm just trying to <laughs> butter them up. Um, no, but in this case, it was, it was really interesting because um, I have not seen this anywhere except you. You reported that Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are under contract to participate in one more golf exhibition with. Turner Sports. So the sort of the initial deal would have been three exhibitions and it has to take place. The third exhibition sort of has to take place within the next 12 to 18 months. You report that Turner and the golfers each reserve the right to pull out of the deal. 
Um, so here's where I want to get to you with you. The, um, the Brady Manning thing was obviously a mega success, mega success on viewership, mega success on uh, critical praise. It was great and fun to watch. Um, what, what do you think? And again, understanding that some of the viewership numbers is, is amped up for sure because it was not competing against anything. But what do you think the success of this means, John, for this kind of enterprise, this, this Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and then add whoever you want to, to make it interesting? What, what does it mean heading forward? God, if there's one truism about television, it's that every, every network sees what, what works and is successful and tries to copycat it. And it, it happens in entertainment television. It happens with sitcoms. It, uh, how many sort of Friends series did, uh, did every other network try to, uh, try to launch after the success of Friends back in the 90s? All, on, all the way through. So uh, you can bet that every network is looking at these numbers and, and uh, looking at the sort of the, really the critical success. Did any, anybody have anything bad to say about the, uh, the match on um, Memorial Day weekend? It was, uh, it, it was just really well produced. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it went on maybe a little bit long. I think it was more than four hours uh, to, to watch. But it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was pretty, it was good television uh, to watch. So, you know, on, on one hand, uh, you can bet. I'm, I'm certain that Turner and other sports uh, um, networks are going to try to do something similar to this. Uh, the one thing, though, and, and you, you alluded to this, the, the numbers were amped up, but but it, 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 there's a sense that Turner, especially, just they caught lightning in a bottle. I mean, they had they had. Uh, Charles Barkley giving grief to Tom Brady, and he turns around and, and makes like a, a shot from like a hundred yards out, you know, for, for, for a birdie, you know, and it was just like you can't script that. I mean, that was that, that was that, that was a, a pretty amazing uh, piece of television. You had a monsoon basically come, and, and they're playing in the rain. You had everybody with uh, the, the COVID sort of sheltered at home. With no other sports, there was nothing on. Um, uh, I, I guess NASA, there was a NASCAR race for for part of it, but there was really no competition uh, for it. And so, you know, that that number I think was like 5.6 or 5.7 million viewers, which uh, which you know the biggest um, viewership in the history of uh, cable television for for golf. You know, that viewership is. You know, um, it's it would be really hard to replicate that, but that's not going to stop other networks from doing it. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think this is very much related to the. I'm talking about the viewership number. Very much related to the pandemic. It's stay at home orders. It's not to say that they can't do an entertaining event. You know, whether you use other golfers, you know, whatever Rory McIlroy and uh, Dustin Johnson. But I don't think we're going to see this replicated, even with. Woods and Mickelson doing it uh, next year, but for Turner, listen, great publicity. Also, the the the, uh, the, chari- the charitable component of it is uh, that that's something else you can't replicate. I mean, twenty uh, twenty million to a a, a COVID fund. It uh, you know when when else can you do that? So everything conspired to make this as successful as it was. Agreed. Yeah, they're not again. It's and it's not a bad thing. It's not going to happen again. But that's okay. I, I think they will do this for sure one more time, and I think people will be interested, and they may get a little bit of a pop from uh, this year's uh, this year's event, and people sort of wanting to check it out again. They're probably going to have to figure out a way to. I think find two other very famous people, whether that's famous athletes, um, 
you know, I mean, this isn't going to happen, but like if you had uh, uh, Tiger Woods and LeBron James versus Steph Curry and Phil Mickelson, I think people would tune in. I mean, I think that'd be fascinating, but I, I don't know if that's going to happen again. So we'll, um, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you can find like uh, the two other people that had the chemistry of you know, like Brady and Manning and, 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 uh, and Mickelson and uh, Tiger didn't talk a ton, but like, you know, those three just had this like chemistry going that was like just really cool. And, and that's all, that's another part that's going to be really difficult to, to replicate. Yeah. I don't, I was thinking the other day, like, could it, could like, is there a singer or is there an actor or is there a politician? Is there a sports figure? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know. There's no one who you sort of just can name off the top of your head that, um, you know, that sort of automatically, uh, makes it a, a, a can't miss. How about if you do something along the lines of, of a mini Ryder cup and you, and you bring in, you know, a couple of European golfers to go, to, to, to go against, uh, Mickelson and Woods, or you, you bring in, you, you make it a generational thing, and you bring in Jordan Spieth and like you know a, a couple of the younger players to come in to to, to play, uh, you know, uh, Tiger and Phil, and you sort of make it a little bit more, you know, golf centric uh, than than you know bringing in the ex quarterbacks. I think I think that event, I think the event becomes better as a competition, but I think you lose viewership because you don't bring casual fans in. Would be my yep, answer. absolutely. But yeah. I agree with you that that becomes then a more kind of a more interesting golf exhibition. Um, and they may, they may opt to, they may opt to do that. The one thing usually when these things, John, happen is that you, you're right. Everybody tries to copycat it and you do a lot of them and then they eventually fade. You know, everybody tried to do the battle of the network stars kind of concept for a while and then it faded and, you know, superstars concept and then it faded. You'll, um, I think you'll see that happen with this. Well, remember, NBC had a uh, NBC did a, a similar uh, event just a week earlier, and it didn't get nearly the uh, the amount of buzz that that Turner's did. So, uh, so you know, the, it, it isn't a uh, uh, something that is guaranteed to have success. But uh, but you can still pe- people see these see those numbers. Probably going to get some emails from Chris McCloskey and Dan Masonson about that. But I'm I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> didn't have the buzz McCluskey come on it didn't the sports that have uh returned John uh NASCAR uh and full marks to Fox for uh, their NASCAR production which I think has been excellent um UFC Bundesliga um will any of these sports John you think when all the other sports come back will the pop the viewership pop that they've gotten you think any of this will be sustainable you think any of this results in some kind of small long-term growth for those sports uh, that's the hope. I, I mean, NASCAR is, uh, 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 you, you see these stats about the number of people watching their first NASCAR race over the last, uh, you know, two weeks. They've been really hurt by weather, so I'm not sure what's what's going to happen with them. Uh, I think UFC is, is one that, you know, a lot of people just wanted a, a, some competition. And, and you take a look at some of those pay-per-view numbers. It was more than just uh, just casual fan, or it was more than just the hardcore UFC fans that were that were tuning into that, and you know, the the idea that a lot of these net, um, sports are having is that there's this window of time where you can put your your sport out there and just market it to people, and and uh, and that's that's why as a baseball fan, that's why baseball's killing me right now because like they can go and and they they can bring in. Uh, fans that have fallen away from the sport, they can go to younger fans because there's a window now between now and the end of July when the NBA says it's going to come back and the NHL says it's going to come back. 
there's there's a window where it will it would be the only thing that that that's on, and I would I would have to imagine that you know the the first ones out are getting people to sample it, and uh, if you sample it, you're going to be more likely to to come back. So yeah, I think I think anybody that's that's coming out early is going to see a, a nice little. A nice little pop out of this. Uh, you know what? I, I've really—I uh, don't know how much NASCAR you've watched, John, but I've—I've I've really been impressed by how they've navigated um, this broadcast with announcers in Charlotte, uh, the race wherever the race is. Uh, you know, either Darlington or, or or Charlotte, obviously in the uh, in the last one. Um, graphics people uh, in Los Angeles, and the it it it. Um, Without the fans in the stands, it feels like a real race. The audio to me is really, really good. Um, I think Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon do a really good job for not only um, hardcore fans, but for casual fans. Um, and I will say this, and this is just sort of my observation. And I'm, I, I, you know, I, listen, I obviously grew up in New York, um, so I'm sure NASCAR, a lot of NASCAR fans would think of me as a Yankee. But uh, but I have been to six NASCAR races. When I was at Sports Illustrated, I did a seven-week project where I went to, or eight-week project where I went to six NASCAR races, part of a, a really in-depth NASCAR um, uh, viewership poll where we did it on site. It gave me great appreciation for the sport, and I fact-checked Ed Hinton, who's one of the legends writing in the sport for a long time. So I got great respect um, for the sport. And but John, here's the sort of interesting thing with me in terms of growth. Um, it, it is not the easiest sport to sort of follow if you don't watch it week to week because it's not like how do I sort of say this? Like, there's not an exact winner, like of everything. Like, yes, you get you know the person who wins the race wins the race, but there's stage wins and there's certain points that you get in the point system like let's say if you get out of the pits earlier enough you know what i mean it's like it's it's interesting and then it's one of those sports where i feel like you have to watch for like seven to ten weeks to sort of get it and i wonder how many new fans will really make that investment that's i feel like that's a little bit of a problem that they have to overcome and maybe there is no overcoming it yeah and i mean one of the things nascar has spent years talking about is the need to Sort of highlight a lot, a lot of the driver personalities to get people to identify uh, a, a more with the drivers in, in terms of that. Um, but the, you know, the thing about NASCAR and no fans is that the the, the audio around NASCAR is so built on just the noise of the cars and 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 the sounds of the engines going going around the track. I mean, so much so that you know, Fox has that that one little bit where the the announcers stay quiet. I forget what they call it, but the announcers stay quiet and they just listen to the sounds of the track, you know, as 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 they're going around. And so that so the, you don't necessarily miss. I I think the only time that that I missed having a crowd at NASCAR is at the very end when 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 there's a winner and the guy gets out of his car to, to you know silence just about and it's, uh, you know it, uh, it, it's not it's not as dependent on fans as say you know baseball or basketball or, or any sort of arena sport we'll uh we'll finish up on a couple of quick things here your um your initial or top line thoughts about whether you think the foxes and the espns and the and the nbcs of the world will pipe in some kind of external crowd noise when more sports start coming back yeah a hundred percent that's going to happen uh I, I, every everybody i talked to said that when they watch a game with no fans 
and, and, and silence. It's utterly disorienting. And so they 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 have been looking to uh, Brad Zager of Fox uh, said in the story that I did uh, for for Monday's issue. He called it scoring the game. You know, and so they're they're going to have you know and the example he used is when Cody Bellinger comes to the plate in the second inning. You know, the crowd sound is going to be different than when he comes to the plate in the ninth inning down one with two runners on, you know, and, and, and they, they want to be able to, you know, have the crowd sort of or, or, or the, the track sort of scored to that point so to, to where, where you can do it. I think uh, I haven't actually watched it myself, but I've heard nothing but positive things coming from the Bundesliga. Uh, doing that, you know, they have singing in an empty stadium. They have cheers at the appropriate time, booing at the at the appropriate time, and they do a nice job of it. I've been watching some Korean baseball on on ESPN, and they um they're not necessarily scoring the game, but they do have just like a track of the sounds of a stadium in the background that just sounds natural. It doesn't sound natural when there's a home run and it's the exact same sounds as when it's ball ball two. But it's uh, it, it, it just it it uh, just provides a little bit more activity in, in terms of audio, and everybody I talked to said that you know you, you can expect a lot more of that when when these uh, leagues start to come back. My other thought, John, again, uh, I think a pretty obvious one is I think you're going to see a ton of remotes um, heading forward. I think you're going to see so many broadcasters doing games from ESPN's headquarters in Bristol or Los Angeles or Charlotte or you know now in Fox's case in in Los Angeles. And then you wonder, what does that mean long-term? But I think in the near term, maybe outside of, let's say, the NFL or the biggest of the big games, um, I think you're going to see a ton of remotes. Uh, 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 and certainly for the locals, like the RSN types, what do you think? Oh, long-term, definitely. Uh, right, right, you just mentioned what Fox was doing with, with NASCAR. I mean, now is the time to sell stock in the four seasons, Richard, because there are going to be less networks uh, send, sending production people to, uh, to, to games. And one of the benefits, if, if there's a benefit, one of the uh, benefits of having no sports right now is that all of these networks are getting are sort of sitting back and they have time to plan because typically a network goes straight from you know baseball into college football into basketball and and they're just rushing from one to the other. But now they're they're stepping back and they're saying where can we cut costs because they all need to cut costs now and not uh, not lose video quality. And they think that you know that they're they're looking at what Fox Fox did from L.A. to Charlotte to Daytona and uh, and and. You and I couldn't tell a difference on, on the broadcast. Uh, I don't think anybody could in terms of that. So why do they need to travel? The idea of like these massive production trucks for a midweek baseball or basketball game, uh, you know, that's uh, the, the, those are going to be a thing of the past pretty soon, I think. Well, that, that would then also tell me, John, that what's going to happen is you're going to see salaries come down. Uh, maybe not the Joe Buck or Al Michaels level, but I think you're going to see a lot of uh, – you know, mid-level broadcasters at national places and maybe broadcasters that, uh, who do stuff for RSNs, I would think the salary structure, their networks are going to try to, and outlets can try to bring that down. They're probably going to try to bring that down regardless, given obviously the fact that, you know, we've just suffered a, a, an economic catastrophe here. But I, don't you think that leads to that as well? Less, less people on site, uh, less, less salaries. The pandemic is accelerating trends across across businesses 
and that was a trend that was happening before the pandemic hit, and it, it, it definitely is going to be something that, to, to keep your eye on. And again, not for the top line, not for Joe Buck or uh, or, or you know Al Michaels, but or Mike Tirico. Um, but 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 definitely for for the mid to lower level uh, uh, broadcasters, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Here's the last one, John. I know we've talked about this a lot, um, and it's you know we're only going to spend a little bit of time on this here because it's going to be something that I think we'll talk about um, down the road more. We're heading towards the um, presidential election in November. Um, you know, I sort of feel like myself repeating this, but certainly the most um, polarizing election of our of our lifetime. As we're um, taping this today, um, there are a ton of people on Twitter obviously talking about um, what happened in, um, in Minneapolis uh, this week. Um, do you think, um, you know, regarding, um, uh, regarding the city erupting over uh, George, George Floyd's death, and obviously the, I would say many parts of the country erupting uh, about that, um, do you think, John, we are going to see um, the networks, and particularly ESPN, which has really been sort of out in front of this, try to tamp down as much as they can on their people being public about anything that revolves around politics or or social justice uh, or social issues, or can that not be done, you think, in this heightened climate? Interestingly enough, and again, this is just my own editorializing, Fox Sports does not really give a shit about what their people say publicly. I think that's beyond clear. Um, and in a sense, it's probably better to be talent there because your company doesn't, you know, sort of seem to put restrictions on you when it comes to your social media feed, um, which, quite frankly, is something I appreciate. Um, but in ESPN's case, John, they have been beyond clear uh, when it comes to this stuff. But, you know, we're seeing tensions rise in the United States almost on a daily basis. Do you think they're going to be as steadfast to tamper this down as we get closer to November? Uh, yeah, I, I think you said it. ESPN has been extremely clear under Jimmy Pitaro that it, that it wants no part of this, uh, um, uh, no part of having its on-air talent talking about anything other than sports or uh, the intersection of, of politics and, and, and sports. Um, CBS the, the, the same way, NBC the same way. Uh, Fox, you know, they, they, they are a little bit different there. Uh, I think if, if they uh, left to their druthers, uh, they, would, they would have the same way. And I expect because it's so polarizing now, it would be the, it would be the same way. But I'll, I'll even take you back to 2015 uh, when uh, there were race riots in Baltimore. Um, and, you know, that was, that was at a time when, you know, it, it, it was leading into a polarizing election then. And that's the, that's that's when all the networks decided that they, all the sports networks decided that they didn't want to have their uh, their, their sports talent giving political, you know, sharing their political viewpoints. Uh, I don't see anything that's that's changed in in, in the ensuing sort of four years uh, from from that. Joe, we're not going to get into this now, but can you believe in 2020 that Rush Limbaugh was once hired by ESPN in 2003? He was fired for the Donovan McNabb comment, I believe, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just amazing. Amazing, though, to think about in a 2020 prism, okay, what's going on in this country, and just Limbaugh himself, that once upon a time, Rush Limbaugh <laughs> was on ESPN's most prominent NFL pregame show. It's amazing. Amazing to think about today, seven, 17 years later. That should be a 30 for 30. That, 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 I think, was that like three or four weeks? I forget. I, I even forget about that. 
Uh, good question. Not not many. Um, but but you know there were weeks. It's not. It wasn't days. Um, so it's uh, it's amazing. And by you even go back then in two thousand three. By the way, uh, the viewership numbers for a ESPN pregame show were probably way way higher than they are. Those were the uh, halcyon days without Twitter trolls, Richard. Yeah, we we live in uh, we live in interesting times. John O'Rand is uh, a uh, sports media reporter for the Sports Business Journal and Sports Business Daily. He comes on the show. John, and even talk about Sportico. Uh, you consider them a com- big competitor? Oh yeah, they're, they're, they're being bankrolled by. Yeah. I think I think I think you I think you are their primary competitor. Is that fair uh, to say? I would I would say so. They're, they're bankrolled by Penske, yeah. uh, and uh, and they 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 got a bunch of really good journalists, including a lot of your old uh, colleagues as well. Yeah, I know. I know. Let the games begin, good. Richard. When you start going on other podcasts, I might be bringing Scott Soshnick on to <laughs> start pissing you Wait, off, I'm- basically. I'm America's <laughs> podcast guest. I thought. I know, but now the now the the stakes are higher now, John. Show some lo- <laughs> show some loyalty is what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh, all right, John. As always, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Anytime, RD. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, as I said at the top, um, Katie Strang is a senior NHL writer for The Athletic, but she uh, she has many more jobs at The Athletic. She's someone um, at our place who does um, some incredible investigative work. Um, I know she's in the middle of um, continuing investigations on uh, the handling of, uh, of abuse allegations uh, in the hockey world. We'll get to that a little bit at the end of this conversation. Um, she's absolutely one of my favorite colleagues and one of the best people that I work with. And for these purposes, at least on this podcast, we're going to sort of focus on the NHL because of the major news that hit this week about their return to play plans. And Katie Strang joins me on the sports media podcast. Uh, first off, Katie, how are you and uh, your family doing? Uh, thank you for asking. We are doing well. I am blushing at your intro, and I, I have to say that you're one of my favorite colleagues as well. Um, I don't know if you ever remember this, but do you remember me fangirling like when I met you for the first time at a New York bar and I spilled red wine all over you? Yeah, you're re- I, I, I appreciate how you're reading off the script that I sent you right now, Katie. This is very nice. It's, it's, it's very sweet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm serious. I, yeah, I mean, I am serious about this. I think you are basically the, the best of what we do at the athletics. So it's uh, it's it's totally awesome to uh, be able to share a masthead with you. Well, the feeling is mutual. My family is great. My kids are both driving me crazy and keeping me sane. But everyone happy and healthy, so no complaints. Nice. All right, this podcast is over, Katie. We've we've just mutually we've, we've that's it. No more questions, and we've we've we mutually praised each other and take care. Um, all right. So here, the 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 reason to bring you on today. I mean, there's, there's always good reason to bring you on, but for this one is you um, 
Gary Bettman and the league announced significant return to play plans. Um, it's clear the league's been working on this for a while. I want to start with sort of your top line thoughts on the plan, but then I'm going to ask you some media specifics about that. So when you saw the plan to return, um, how they're going to construct the playoffs, the fact that the regular season is over, they also talked about how they're planning to do the draft. As someone who's covered the sport for a long time, what were, what were your initial takeaways on that? So initial takeaways, obviously, like any other person, sports fan, hockey nut, you know, it's always encouraging to see the sort of wheel slowly turning towards some optimism and some more, I'm couching this a little bit, but some more concrete um, plans toward a return to play scenario. Um, I was relieved to see that they just basically finally said, hey, we're going to nullify the end of the regular season. They were pushing to complete that for quite a while, and I I thought that was, um, you know, basically a foregone conclusion from the very early days. So I'm glad that they scrapped that. I'm glad they're just focusing on this playoff format, which I think could potentially provide a ton of excitement for people um, and for hockey fans specifically. I will say... um, I think everyone got that sort of initial surge of excitement. And I hate to be a Debbie Downer here, but I do think it's important to temper that excitement with the fact that this is a return to play scenario that is still, in my mind, very hypothetical. I There are so many hurdles that are left to clear from a logistical and health and regulatory perspective that... I think we should all be shouting from the rooftops in anticipation of hockey, but I also think we need to realize that we're not even close yet, and there are a lot of things that need to be worked out before that happens. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, you live um, in Michigan, so you're close to the Canadian border. I obviously live in Toronto, and one of the big things that um, really has to be addressed is that if the uh, NHL wants to play in Canada in one of these hub cities, and I'm sure that would be ideal for them given the uh, Canadian where the Canadian dollar stands. There's a real issue because the Canadian government at this point is um, requiring anyone who tr- comes over the border to um, isolate themselves for 14 days, to quarantine basically for 14 days. Um, that's full stop. No one at this point has been allowed to bypass that. And I don't know how the NHL plays in Canada, Katie, um, if that um, edict remains. Yeah, I think you're smart to you know, recognize that as a major impediment, not necessarily to playing at all, but playing on the timeline that I think they'd like to play on. And, and you know, it, there are just so many variables, you know, when, when it comes to this you know, cross-border scenario and, you know, not to mention that you have a ton of European players um, who need to get back from their respective countries and where, you know, different players in different countries have been abiding by different policies. I mean, Sweden's been pretty wide open. Um, Other countries have been a bit more conservative. So you have this wide spectrum of policies and procedures, and then you have to create some level of standardization in terms of health and safety protocols, and you're right that 
you know, any player coming to Canada, um, no matter what, they're not their deemed an essential worker or what have you. Um, they should, you know, they will not be and they should not be exempt from from having to do that. As, uh, as someone who covers the sport, what kind of access would you want or expect? Well, those are two very different things. What I would want is, um, you know, probably as much as you could conceivably have without imperiling reporters or and or players. Um, whatever is sort of advisable from health officials in terms of, you know, working conditions that are, you know, fair and pretty open without putting anyone into danger. Now, I don't know what that looks like. Um, and I suspect no one else does really either. You know, I know that the last time I was actually out in public, um, save for, you know, my bi-monthly grocery trip, is um, I was at the rink, and that was when they were just starting to engage in policy of, like, um, bringing players out rather than having people go into the locker room and cordoning off an area that provided a player and reporter's ample space to interact. Um, you know, that, to me, if you if you look at sort of the impetus and the cascade of actions taken, not just in sports, but nationwide, one of the really early indicators to me that this is something serious is, is that, you know, the league did start to restrict access and change access and adhere to these protocols to try to protect athletes. Um, and so I imagine we will see um, a very enthusiastic effort to do the same when hockey returns. I don't expect to get any of the same access that we did prior to this, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> would you, Katie, would you, um, if, um, if let's say they offered um, certain media members access inside whatever the pub city or bubble would will be you know let's, let's just sort of play it out it's columbus and vegas i'm making that up um would you would you want would you be interested in in covering the nhl let's say as one of four or five designated reporters who goes inside the bubble but within being inside that bubble you have to leave your family for a certain amount of time and and you're there until the duration of whatever that tournament uh, however that tournament ends uh probably not um, I mean, I would, you know, that's, that's a tough, I, I, this is a question that I think players are grappling with. I, do you feel comfortable being away from your family for months at a time and incurring risk to do so? And so the, the short answer is probably not. Um, I have two young children. Um, I have an incredibly supportive husband who has been largely holding down the fort for us, um, Throughout this quarantine, we're about 10 or 11 weeks in. Um, and so the stress that he has already incurred, um, having to be essentially the primary caretaker with not a ton of help for me, um, has been tremendous. And, um, you know, compounding that with me being gone completely and also potentially putting us at risk, no, I don't think I would feel super comfortable with that yet. Now, it's that scenario presents itself, I, I would be happy to talk about that with, you know, my family and obviously my bosses at work. And if that was something that they felt was necessary, I would, I would consider. I imagine they're going to get more young reporters without families maybe volunteering for those spots. I mean, covering, covering a playoff run in, in the NHL is one of the funnest, but also most, like, 
exhausting experiences ever. Um, I have, I love covering the NHL playoffs. So I say all that. Um, I hope that sort of underscores like how serious my concerns are. Um, but I, I love covering the NHL playoffs more than any other sporting event um, on earth. And I would be hesitant. How, um, let's do one more on this and then I want to get to some of the investigative stuff you're working on. Um, one of the, one of the things that I think, um, journalists in all sports are a little worried about is the, um, the, the lack of access that's going to exist during, um, any kind of pandemic, um, you know, any, any kind of event that goes on during, during COVID-19, during this pandemic, naturally access has to be restricted um, because of health and safety protocols. And I think there's certainly worry among um, a lot of people in sports that these kind of restrictions will ultimately continue post-pandemic if there even is, if there is a post-pandemic, but the restrictions continuing post-pandemic and once access goes away now, it's, it's, it's just going to be continued to chip away and chip away. How do you, um, how do you view that? Cause you're obviously someone who has, um, you know, especially when it comes to NHL, Katie, you've you've been in a lot of dressing rooms and you've been on site at a lot of major events, and you understand the importance of of access when it comes to doing the work that you've done. Sure, yeah, I think that's a really legitimate concern, and um, I'd be lying if I said that I don't agree that the. I think it will be difficult to claw the entirety of that access back once once it is you know, taken away. And I don't, there's no one that's going to argue um, about the utility and the need to restrict that access now and probably in the immediate future um, in any res- resumption of play scenario. Um, but down the road, if that access continues to erode, um, I think that is a, a, a really serious concern that journalists have. And, you know, to to give some context about why that's important. Um, and it's not always obvious, I think, to someone outside of our industry is, you know, what you are covering is, yes, the sport, right? But what the most compelling things that people read and really want to read are stories about people. And so the human element is so incredibly and critically important of this job and the way that you form those relationships um, with players as people and not just athletes is to have that sort of informal interaction within a locker room setting um, where you're talking about things relating to hockey and oftentimes relate, talking about things that are unrelated to hockey. That's how you build trust and gain a rapport and how you gain insight into you know, the person behind the athlete and you get a more qualitative look at, um, you know, the person that you're dealing with. So I certainly see the need to fight for that access and why it's important. Um, But I also recognize that we are in an unprecedented time and that safety is paramount. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Katie, um... As uh, we're taping this uh, interview on Thursday, May 28th, um, you know, you're in the middle of uh, breaking news reporting. Um, I'll read the lead that you just posted to The Athletic. U.S. Hockey President Jim Smith is under investigation by the U.S. Center for Safe Sport concerning his handling of allegations of sexual misconduct and abuse by a youth coach, The Athletic has learned. USA Hockey has also hired an independent investigator to probe Smith's business dealings with an Illinois youth hockey affiliate. Um, in February, you um, reported on um, some pretty significantly disturbing um, sexually abuse allegations involving uh, a Chicago area coach and junior hockey players. And this is, um, this is something you've been reporting on for a while. Man, Katie, this is not easy reporting that you do. It's really important reporting, and a lot of people appreciate it. But um, you want to just give us a sense of where this story um, stands for you. And man, just as a reporter, it just—I'm, you know—I I don't know how you do it every day, where it just doesn't sort of corrupt the soul. Some of the things that you report on. Yeah, well, I, you know, only half jokingly like tell people that um, bourbon really helps. <laughs> Um, and, <laughs> um, but truthfully, like it, it can be very depressing, but, um, it can also be very affirming in ways too. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of times when people share, um, experiences about sexual abuse, um, it can be really cathartic and therapeutic and healing for them to tell their story and reclaim their story. And, um, you know, one of the most horrible, insidious things about sexual abuse is the isolation and the shame um, that comes from it. And when people realize that they're not necessarily the only person that experiences a certain thing, um, there can be tremendous solidarity. And I, you know, from reporting this story, I've certainly seen many instances of this, um, of, of this. And additionally, like I, you'd be shocked at how many people like that I cold call um, who have no reason to help me um, other than it's they feel it's the right thing to do, choose to do so even when it could um, really blow back on them. And so that's always a really affirming thing to me that whenever I get depressed about, um, you know, the state of, of the world and sports, and um, I, I remember that there are always people that are willing to help and to do the right thing. Um, but to, sorry, to give you a Reader's Digest version of what's going on right now, so... In February, I reported about several former hockey players of a very prominent Chicago area youth hockey coach who said that um, he sexually abused them um, over the span of many years and bounced around from every, basically every prominent youth hockey program in the greater Chicagoland area. Um, he also coached briefly at University of Minnesota. Um, and, you know, the initial story was about you know, the abuse and, and those very courageous victims that came forward to talk about their, um, what they said happened. Um, and then the subsequent stories have really focused on the institutions surrounding that coach 
and the culture of those institutions and to try to basically examine how this person who was alleged to have done these things for so long was able to continue to get jobs and jobs and jobs. So the latest iteration of that is that um, the current president of USA Hockey, Jim Smith, was a prominent, um, very influential member of the state affiliate that oversaw um, Chicago hockey. And several people have told me, and I've reported this, that they, you know, one person said that they have, they told this person about concerns about sexual misconduct. Um, several other people have told me that they feel very confident he knew about this um, and did not take action. So the latest iteration of this is that the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, which is a central clearinghouse that investigates claims of sexual abuse within the U.S. Olympic Committee's purview, um, is now investigating uh, Jim Smith, the USA Hockey president, as well as other members within AHI to see if they handled complaints about sexual abuse um, in a proper way. And in addition to that, USA Hockey has hired a third-party investigator to probe his business dealings with that AHI affiliate, um, that state governing body, um, to see if there were any any inappropriate business relationships or conflicts of interest. He owns a printing company in the Chicago area, and um, that printing company has been contracted for services both with AHI, the state affiliate, and with USA Hockey. You can uh, you can read Katie's work on The Athletic on this. Uh, just uh, head to her archives. Uh, one of the things about The Athletic app uh, as well as desktop, as you can follow writers specifically. So every time she has a new story on this, um, it'll pop up. It's really important work, and um, and I'm glad she's continuing it. Katie, um, when the NHL um, uh, eventually gets back, and knock on wood, that will be sooner than later, I will have you back, and we'll be very, very specific on the uh, on the NHL. But, uh, you know, continued good health to you and yours. Um and um, and thanks for all the reporting you do. And in all seriousness, thanks for being a great colleague at The Athletic. I was going to say, the feeling is mutual. Thank you for having me on and letting me discuss it. This is this is too, this is this is like the, the 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 biggest mutual admiration society interview I've done in weeks. So it's very nice. <laughs> I appreciate. it. All right, Katie Strang. Follow her on Twitter for sure, and obviously follow all her remarkable work at The Athletic. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. All right, back to wrap up. My thanks uh, to John Orand and Katie Strang for their uh, their time, their insights, and uh, for an excellent conversation. If you like this kind of stuff, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch archives, and I think you will find something that will interest you. Prior to this episode, we had a long conversation with the ESPN analyst Booger McFarland about his time on Monday Night Football as well as what he thinks of the prospect of uh, college football players coming back this fall. Also, Fox NASCAR producer Barry Landis, who uh, discussed how um, how to put on a NASCAR race if you're Fox uh, during the middle of the pandemic. Very, very uh, labor-intensive stuff, even though you are not on site. Before that episode, Tom Verducci on the new normal of covering baseball. Tom Verducci, I would say the best baseball writer of his generation. Before that, Bob Costas, a uh, long conversation with the uh, iconic sports television journalist, and then head back basically through all the archives, and I think you will, uh, if you're into sports media, you'll probably find something that you enjoy. The way this podcast stays uh, going is uh, 
obviously, in addition to you guys listening, uh, it's ratings and reviews. So if you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review. Shoot a comment. Um, the, uh, the people who run this podcast certainly check that out. Let me thank again my producers, Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry, for all their hard work. Thanks to everybody at Cadence 13, including uh, Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, and John McDermott. Thank you to the listeners. I hope everybody out there uh, and their families are safe and healthy. And we'll see you again on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch Podcast.